explore a little bit about perhaps the the reasons why games don't mechanize character relationships is i think twofold a the games don't consider it important or they recognize the possibility of doing that but see the problems with how that curtails player agency with regard to the character dynamics at the table. Mm-hmm. So okay. like, like I don't ever think D&D would ever do this, but if if they did do that, then the player's ability to just follow the trope of paladin and thief hate each other kind of is at risk for conflicting the rules Mm -hmm. should they exist or you know like if if a like games Mm. don't really want to tell players how to play their characters Like yeah, in a, well, a fine pointed way, like this. Yeah. Right. Plus, if you say if you give a mechanic that allows a player to do a thing to another player, um, if you're not careful, you take away the agency of that other player if they don't want that thing to happen to their mm-hmm. character. Right. Uh, like almost, you have to have like <clears throat> almost a mutually agreed upon tense moment for it to work you know what i mean um and i think like what i was saying about the strings of monster heart do that because you already you already bought into that mechanic at the start of the game um mm-hmm. so yeah a mutual buy-in is necessary <clears throat> for relationship to work in between players yeah yeah for well yeah because relationships are reciprocal so the buy-in has to be yeah. yes yeah <clears throat> But for I do the think there is. Sorry, yeah. I was for just the most say. part, yeah. The they not may not be equally reciprocal, but you know, there's the whole unrequited love thing. But presumably, those two people still have some kind of relation to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but <clears throat> I think there is an opportunity in more modern game design to tell players that they're or give players tools to canonize their the the dynamics between the PCs like mm-hmm. not in a way that is restrictive or would or would impinge agency but just as a thing that turns the the characters from a group of people that have just been thrown together by by happenstance to a like meaningful ensemble right I, the dungeon world um to, to your point the dungeon world and i think apocalypse world too also uh, gives you character relationships at the start of the game you say you pick a character and you 
there's your class gives you or your playbook gives you something to uh i think like the, to to for an example the paladin one in dungeon world says um you think this other player x like a blank space is uh, a sinner but you are going to try to redeem them you know so that sets up a dynamic right away and then the other player knows like okay the paladin's going to try to redeem me and i can you know there's something there that's kind of cool and maybe like we can make that come to a head or maybe not but it's uh it's they don't they don't mechanize it that much no yeah. you have to have you have to have a a somewhat light hand about it right so in dungeon world they're called bonds and um the the light-handed part about it is that you're not penalized for not uh engaging in them um but you are given experience if you do engage and there's no role um that interacts with it uh it's just uh it just sort of you you just do it and and you get a benefit if you do it mm-hmm. um yeah and uh adam cole will uh also he actually referred to or sorry i've refer heard him refer to the game as a relationship game um and in addition to adventuring so okay yeah, uh, and Cavoir, I think you had something to add. Okay, so we kind of glossed over, you think Apocalypse World has it. Uh, Apocalypse World's <laughs> version is way more complicated than any other part of the Apocalypse World game I've seen. Uh, it, has a go, it has a go around the table and interjection thing, and each X, which is, out, which is their measurement of it, is a stat that you roll on that is different for each character in the group. And a, a Finding the first one's the highest HX actually has something to do with character creation. It's a whole thing I don't want to get into because it's, uh, I don't actually remember how it works exactly <laughs> off the top of my head. But for the record, yeah. uh, it's way more involved than any other. It's way, no, more, way more involved than Dungeon World. It's way more involved than any other Power Party Focus game I've seen, and it's kind of silly. Um, Is right. that. Okay, I, I'm trying to remember. Does that carry forward into second edition? I don't know second edition off the top of my head. I'm sorry. It, okay. I that's, believe that's... it does, and I believe they tried to simplify it. I, okay. I only know from hearing people talk about it, though. But it does but... come forward simplified. Okay, that was yeah. what I was wondering about. But it, it, that is interesting, too. And I don't remember exactly. So, um, Kevoir, you were saying that it, it's rolled on. and it, But it also changes as you go, right? Like, yep. Each time it's used, it goes up or down, or I don't know. It's it is interesting and complicated. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> well, okay. So that's one way you can add tension. Going back to that a little bit um, within relationships is by having those relationships matter for what you can do. Um, because then, you know, you, if you're dependent upon those relationships being um, strong or whatever, um, or even just volatile, because I, I think the Apocalypse World one is a little uh, vague on its definitions purposefully. It's just like how far the relationship is along. Um, but either way, like that creates some tension oh, shoot, our relationship isn't that strong. Thus, things are going to happen. More uncertainty is created than our relationship was stronger. Uh, a lot of the... They do give a lot of, like, 
the interjections you do are um they all alter they give sir they a give specific circumstances and b most of them are circumstances that would innately cause tension but that's something yeah <laughs> yep I, uh, I... to move off this topic and go in an entirely weird direction that i want to cover before we end so i'm gonna just gonna take things over and do this um okay so this podcast is called foil forward so i assume that most of us are fairly pro this new idea called failing forward it's not even new anymore um and it's just kind of interesting how it interacts with tension because in the because in older games a lot of the tension with the role is essentially uh if you fail then either just uh you'd be uh failure is a stop failure is a stop and fail for and this this idea is actually somewhat related to it changes how the tension of the role interacts with how the game structure is and if somebody wants to take over from here they're welcome to because i forgot what my main point was <laughs> <laughs> that's all right man uh the no but no you're right so so the 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 fail forward thing is the idea idea that um if you uh blow a roll the story doesn't immediately break down instead of um the game state being oh nothing happened the game state is n always fluid so it's, it's not yeah sure i think yes whatever um, um but the 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 point being in in a game without the fail forward philosophy being implemented, a rogue fail the test and the door doesn't open, and that's what happens. And in a fit, but in a contrast, in a fail forward, I almost said flail forward. In a fail forward uh, game, the rogue fails to pick the lock, but the fiction changes because of that failure. So why it, it prompts the players to answer and the gm to answer why the rogue didn't fail didn't succeed um and in some cases games uh take the extra step of 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 uh specifying that the player gets to be as competent as they want in that moment and the failure arises because of an external circumstance and that that changes the tension of the moment because it's not like the player fucked up the player sucks it's that something happens so instead of the rogue failing to pick the lock because he wasn't good enough the rogue fails to pick the lock because at that moment somebody on the other side turned the handle and like the lock pick is stuck and the rogue's like oh shit and i and so now something's different and mm -hmm. the game has um i see i i think that kind of philosophy and the reason um i think we all kind of agreed to this this the name for this podcast probably had something to do with the the, the fact that we hate it when a game forks in a stupid way like <laughs> it if if the game forks and one of the forks is stop playing for a while it's dumb like kind of self-evidently i don't know if i have to detail out why but mm -hmm. like i'm just not yeah. gonna do it you if you if you don't know why that is just look it up on your own because <laughs> And I think flail forward is one of those things where 
design is catching up to actual play because players recognize when mm-hmm. or have long recognized that if a role fails or whatever that now they have to scramble to pick it up again mm-hmm. the narrative that is yeah that's the players have long known that they have to do that so the philosophy comes from that and can now yes as as a design um principle thought pr- principle yeah that can be embraced and the stoppage can be avoided. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think you're absolutely, absolutely right. It actually, I think it more than likely comes from the fact of people just observing the patterns of successful play groups and noticing that the, where the game would fork in a dumb way, the players just went, no, 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 it's going to, it's going to make it, we're going to make the game cooler in this moment rather than like a pause or a, 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 a break in the tension because the role didn't succeed, but nothing happened. And mm-hmm, right. in RPGs, that's 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 the thing you want to avoid the most out of everything. That, I mean, apart from the game falling apart due to some sort of conflict, but like you want to avoid nothing happens in the game. You know, it's just like why do that? You know, but I think how that really really in, engages with tension is not in in the single action, but it's in the the fail or partial fail. That just mm-hmm. leads to the requirement for another action, and so right. each action, uh, uh, partial fail or, or failure, requires another action to sort of resolve the issue that that caused. Right, and Blade, you know, Blade, and to take this back to Blaze in the Dark, they do it in a very smart way because they that that fail forward gives the player the opportunity to actually raise the stakes on. Yeah on the action and tr- give it another shot, maybe with a different approach. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that is something that is just, that works so well because that's, you build in the tension into the roles. Like you fail, you're like, okay, well you could, you could grab it, right. You know, you could grab the ledge before you fall, or you could, um, you know, get your knife out just in time, but it's going to be, it's going to be another role. And now the stakes are higher. Because now it's yeah. like, okay, maybe you weren't in a dangerous position before. It was just sort of, you know, you were being stealthy and nobody was noticing you. And now it's like you failed. Okay, you want to fail or do you want to keep going? And now it's not going to be quiet, you know? Right. So it offers an interesting narrative choice as well to the player because the, the the choice of I succeed or nothing happens is not that interesting. Yeah. And then when you go down this fail forward path, to to some point the the that you've had built up tension the release instead of being like a death or something horrible i mean mm-hmm. those can happen but the it's often the success is the release and that's really gratifying in the end right where you roll that uh double six crit or you roll that 10 plus and it's like oh finally like a little bit of relief now before the next mm-hmm. thing happens Right, right. Oh, that's that's a source of tension we haven't really discussed that much yet. Is that well? Before we get into that, I want to say that okay. the 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 dramatic change that fail forward places on the gameplay is that it gives failure some value. Yes. Like yeah. It 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 it. Or, or rather, maybe, changes maybe. the 
it suddenly changes the player's philosophy away from I have to succeed to I have to keep the story going. Yeah. 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 Every outcome on this die is one that I want to see. Exactly. Those Mm -hmm. one of (laughs) one of the the pieces of feedback that I got for my game that really shaped a lot of like how I redesigned things was that um, like it was just kind of a throwaway comment that I think someone put down, but that it was that success is what created a path forward. And it took me a while to just like grasp that concept, but that's exactly what was wrong with it was that I didn't care about success. I cared about telling a story. Uh, mm-hmm. I cared about the that like tension and release sort of thing, but it didn't need to revolve around success. And I was using success because that was what existed in games that I'd played. Um, and I think that's that's a tough thing for game designers to extricate from their game because um, a lot of our preconceived notions are that you want to succeed. You want to like, that's, that's how you measure how, how good your character is, is by succeeding at things. Um, but in terms of designing the game, you want to tell a compelling narrative. It doesn't matter if success or failure is the key to that. So. Yeah. And uh, and it's tough to teach players that their goal is to keep the story moving, not to succeed. Yeah. But it's it's because, because that's, success is kind of their default yeah. mindset. That's that's my default mindset. If I'm playing a character, I want my character to be powerful and feel awesome doing what they're supposed to be doing. But in a game design sense, you don't care. Um, you're not trying to build towards empowering the character's success necessarily. You're trying to build towards creating an experience. So. Mm-hmm. Well, just this fail forward, and I, I was starting to think about, you know, how this concept looks narratively in in um, media, uh, and I, I was thinking of Star Wars and Han Solo, and then I was, I was thinking, it's like, yeah, but that's that's not like really a big failure, and so then I was thinking like Game of Thrones, was like, wow, that's that's real fail forward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that is, yeah, no, it really is. Because that's, that's at, well, at, at some point, something should have gone. Yeah. Like, if it, it feels like it could have stopped. Yes. Yeah. Please, you know? please stop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, no. Um, so, yeah, the thing I was going to bring up was the, um, the idea of the, 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 the dice tension. Because I don't think we've really, touched on that too much we we sort of put that in the the meta bucket i think we agreed mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and uh the um but there's there, there's there's a couple of ways to do that um i think in most games it's the it's the tension of a high threshold of success uh and then when you get there it's it's pretty great you know so you that could be just uh something simple as like a high armor class or or a high defense of a target and then when the players um attack it and sort of start knocking some pieces off maybe it gets easier and then that sort of releases the tension right because 
they're going into the combat a little undergeared maybe or some the, the equivalent of undergeared they're not quite prepared and then they work they they persist and work out and and push through um and there's the tension there of are are, are we going to make it through so that's part of the survival tension but it's um it it the the survival tension comes out of the the unpredictability of the dice mm-hmm. um and then what one more thing before i move off this uh is that the the other way to do it is not just high threshold of success but um the so one of the ways to do it is to have a um very unlikely occurrence on on something right so you set up so sometimes you hear about um like crit charts right so you have very unlikely like maybe it's like a d100 chart and there's like a bunch of different outcomes for your for your critical tables or something like that and that's one way of introducing the tension of surprise so when you're rolling on one of those charts you really don't know the outcome but once the die lands and something really comical happens um a lot of times that release can be as memorable a moment as anything that happens in an rpg mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so how do we what are some ways that that gets designed in? So we already hit on like a big chart that has, you know, like one very unlikely outcome on it, like, um, you know, instant death or something like that. But it's like a hundred out of a hundred, or even so something less, yeah, dangerous like random treasure tables. Like rolling mm-hmm. on any random table is the tension of mystery. Yeah. Well, I think there's also just the extremes of like what you're, what you could possibly achieve. Like that's why critical hits are also, like, you you anticipate them. You're excited to try to mm-hmm. like roll your twenty and a twenty sided die, and that would be what makes that aspect exciting, and that's what gives you that sort of like anticipation before the roll. Right. With a certain, with an equal amount of dread for rolling the one. That's exactly it. Mm-hmm. So, do what you do guys, you guys? Well, I was thinking about dread and and thinking dread works so well because um, it's inevitable, but it doesn't translate into campaigns um, because you can't keep killing people and have a campaign. <laughs> so, Wait. so my thought was was like well what is dread you know what's the dice mechanic for dread and i was like oh well it's like a d20 minus one on the first roll and like you always have to get at least 10 then it's a d20 minus two on the next roll and or or with some other dice variation of the same thing um and then i was like oh like i've never played a game with a death spiral but that's a death spiral and whenever Mm. i hear people talk about them they hate them (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> generally I, speaking yeah yeah i don't i don't mind a well done death spiral but the examples of that are few and far between though With, i mean if a game has a death spiral basically you of, of any type uh what they have to do is they have to telegraph it and make sure it's part of the game and everybody knows it's there yes yeah yeah well that is the, the thing key. about death spirals is the ones that most people hate 
are the death spirals that are too easy to get into and too hard to get out of. Yeah. So it's just about pacing it. Yeah. Uh, it's about pacing it and also giving and allowing the players to have options to cover their asses. But that's uh, a, a tension mechanic that often goes wrong. And, mm -hmm. and you can see it pulled. I mean, not pulled. Dread didn't invent it, but you can see it work well in one situation and then bad, bad in another. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have in my in, in Ashes, there's a mechanic called Dread. And it is there as it is there as a tension device because it's it's what mitigates the um, flagrant rerolling and messing with fate, right? So so I give the players the ability to reroll their dice, but it costs them something. And in order to get that something back, they have to face dread, and that means um, they can get back as many points as they want from the central pool. But for every point they take back, they roll a d10. And that d10 is compared to every other player's d10 that face dread. And if any of them match, something happens. <laughs> and what that does is adds a layer of strategy to who's doing it. Um, because you, you, you may, everybody may have spent all of theirs, and then you want to justify... Um, you know, getting all of yours back, but you really don't want to trigger anything bad right now. So you say, if you guys could just hold off for a round, I'm in the front here. Let me deal with this. And then, you know, but I, I really do not want to f have anything bad happen right at this moment. If we could mm -hmm. just, just let me back off. And the players say, well, okay, maybe. And then some player may say, no, 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 I need this too, because yeah. I'm about to go do this thing. And then now, there's there's something interesting is happening and there's no like there's no breaks to pull on that moment though you know there, it's, it's kind the, of the like dice uh, are going to get rolled yeah yeah kind of gives them an opportunity to manage and or mitigate the tension in a way right like mm -hmm. they're they're managing their resources but at the same time they're they're avoiding or at least have the ability by asking people not to do it on a certain turn. It's like, oh, like that sort of mitigates the tension for that round, right? It's like, okay, not yet. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, mm -hmm. but it's a negotiation. And it's, yeah. it's also to encourage interaction and strategizing as well. Yeah. And then I think on a, uh, a, fl a polar opposite of that is D&D's Attacks of Opportunity. <laughs> Where, huh. which basically yeah. locks every character into combat, yeah, like and it's yeah. dis, it's it's disincentivized to disengage. Right. It re it reduces the dynamics of combat to almost zero. Mm hmm. Yeah, and that's something Fourth Edition noticed, and they largely fixed it. But yeah, still. Um. Yeah. No. It, it's right. You don't want to encourage not doing things generally speaking you want to encourage doing things to different degrees and maybe those incentives don't have to be static you know some it's probably even better if they're not and so you know if you make certain actions situationally better than others and the players can notice that that's that's fun um but the 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 thing is uh, maybe i think i just lost my train of thought fuck where to go with that nice
the uh oh attack of opportunity locking down right making combat not dynamic is is encouraging um turtling behavior and encouraging um being conservative and not taking risks um it's and, trapping the players in a meat grinder well, yeah that's what it's doing physically but like psychologically to the players it's 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 just setting up greater incentive for non-action and you in games that's generally something you don't want to do you want to incentivize interesting actions to different degrees um such that there's an actual opportunity cost but not nothing because nothing is just not interesting and i I think probably self-evidently again but like it happens so much that it must not be all that self-evident or it's happening less though. Right. I feel like, I feel, I feel like th- this group of people and, and the generation of game designers that pretty much directly preceded us, the Vincent Bakers and the John Harpers and stuff like that. Um, they, they were, they really figured that out. Um, so we get to, we get to benefit from that, that work. And uh, it's good that we do because we're not we're not locked into that pattern of Mm -hmm. the game forks in a way where nothing happens at some point. Right. Well, the big picture of what they figured out is that the narrative matters. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that the that instead of the narrative being to the mechanics, the mechanics should be subservient to the narrative. At yeah. least tipping the balance in that direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually directly state that as well. Like, if 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 one of the principles in the in the central section that I'm writing is if the rules would generate an outcome that no one at the table can narrate, the rules are an error. Hmm. Because that's that's what that's the side that should break down right there. It, the narrative should not break down. The the rules should break down. Mm, I I wouldn't put it that way. I would say, if one's going to break, the rules need to yield for the narrative. Yeah. Okay. That's a that. You know what? That's a better way of putting it. That they need to yield. Yes. Yeah. Fred joked out. We were going to talk about uh, dread for two hours, or at least he was, and we ended up talking about. Voids in the dark for two hours instead. <laughs> <laughs> that should not be a surprise to anyone at this yeah, point. Blades is no, great. I mean, no, it shouldn't. And uh, dread is the is iconic because the entire game feels around it. But Voids in the dark is definitely a good example. Uh, yeah, modern games for built tension. Well, uh, it helps that I've actually like, or I think most of them read and played Blades, and I haven't actually read Dread. I don't yeah, mean either. I kind no, of I have, oh, uh, I have, being me, I have put red and played red, of course. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, nice. I, I want to. I just, I don't have a Jenga tower, so I've always kind of gone, eh, someday I'll do that. I'm very bad at Jenga. Jenga, but I was GM, so. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've got something. Um, yes. How does it, how is tension affected? within the sort of resource management realm if the resource is being depleted or if the resource is being gained. It's like the the different sides of 
physical health, like you losing hit points and hitting zero or gaining a bunch of wounds until you're dead. Hmm. Um, I, I would say that those are a, sort of the same thing. Um, they I mean, are, obviously... but the difference is loss versus gain. Like, what's the psychological takeaway from those two methods? I think they're similar, and I think where hit points fail in a general tension is is like you said that the the top whatever three quarters or four fifths of them don't mean very much. Um, once you're in one or two hits of dying, that's when hit points start to matter. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they're just like you know it never plays into how you take your actions. I mean, I play a lot of games where uh, if where combat will last like three actions at most. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, that's you're right. Hit points only matter. You're right. Hit points only matter when you get down to a certain threshold. But what's what's the 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 different impact on tension between reaching that low threshold and being within? You know, you've only got a minimal amount of hit points to lose versus I can only take one more wound. Like, is there a difference there? I think there is because yeah, it's, it's yeah. just fundamentally different to think about losing versus gaining. Hmm. From, from what I know of like human psychology, um, it's usually much worse for someone to lose something that they want than to gain something that they don't exactly Um, and that like i think jonathan's spot on about it's about how important losing that thing is if if it has a game impact like if it has a meaningful uh consequence to having lost something then i think that psychologically feels much worse so if you're either at that critical threshold or like going from your max HP down to like what from 70 down to 60, if there's actually like a mechanical loss that comes with that, I think mm-hmm. that's felt much more severely than if you gain something that gets in your way. Hmm. I might, yeah. uh, I might actually, that's the rewrite. point I'm trying to make. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I actually might re- rewrite my wound system based on that. Because <laughs> huh. that's the problem I've always had with wound system is that, they're giving me something that's bad that I don't care about hmm. instead of like hit points is like things I want are being taken away. Okay. Right. So hmm. I'm going to say this. I'm going to talk about blades again, because that's what this sure. episode is about. Um, awesome. uh, <laughs> okay. So what, when adding wounds is better than taking things away is when the wound is a condition that does something. Like in Blades, as an example, uh, the wounds that you take uh, mean that under certain conditions you have <clears throat> less effect or less mm-hmm. dice, depending on the severity of the wound. Mm-hmm. Where, where, and that, and if it was something taken away, that it's harder to visualize that. Like it's harder to say, like if taken away, like phrasing it as taking away your hit. The movement of your hand is less uh, clear than you gained a broken hand 
on your sheet, basically. That's when... Yeah, that's, that's where wound systems become sensible to me, is like, if if it's not just a inverse hit point, but it's actually narratively, like, your arm's off, that's that's when that it becomes isn't. meaningful. That's when it becomes meaningful and has narrative impact. But just saying I have, I go from like no wounds to one, two, three, five, now I'm dead. That, that doesn't, that doesn't sit in my mind the way losing hit points does. Hmm. Okay. Uh, but then I, oh, go ahead, Kevor. The other thing. Okay. And, uh, to talk about a different reason, and it's a much sillier reason, um, some powered by the power games, and I think it, uh, Dutch World doesn't count up because they are about because they want your interaction with the character sheet to be filling things in and then erasing them. So it makes more sense to count up than to have than to uh, go than to like reduce from a list because uh, it means that it's a it's something that you can fill in, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, they, yeah, yeah, they yeah, could yeah. just as easily reverse the cycle and have it being erase things and then filling them in. Part of the problem with that is actually a physical one. You can't like have a box pre-filled in on your character sheet that mm. you print out. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah. if everything has to be consistent, then... I suppose there's an there's that's a good excuse, but but in general, like I my buy-in for wound systems that have no narrative impact is really low. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Hmm. See, I don't necessarily have that same issue, um, and maybe I'm just wired a little differently or something. I don't know, or just not as tuned to HP whatever you know a, a sliding scale downwards but for me it i feel a very similar tension to uh you know those the filling in the harm tracks or whatever in uh powered by the apocalypse game or dropping the equivalent amount of hp in D or similar um it ultimately it's how do you get to that end um i i and i don't have an explanation for why that psychologically doesn't affect me because I the the explanation that was given the you not wanting something taken taken away from you rather than being given something you don't want makes sense and I don't have a good reason why I don't think that's a problem but I don't think that's a problem at least for me I think in general I just don't care about my characters enough <laughs> for those to be like <laughs> real like but like they don't change how I act I guess mm-hmm. um, except in the pure video game form of a- engaging with it mm-hmm. yeah, but better yeah I I yeah I'm tending I'm tending to agree with Kara right now because so my my wound system is you take hits of damage and 
often hit points are referred to even in the books where they're where the rules are delineated is referred to as taking damage. Um, it's not a wound system in the like the dichotomy I think there that's that's most relevant is the Warhammer fantasy role playing and the um, D and D right because hit points and wounds are like that's that's I think I want to say the the first wound system was that Warhammer fantasy role play but I I don't know that for sure. Um, um I I kind of doubt it, but doesn't matter. Yeah, no, it's it's one of the most famous anyway. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things about that was that those totals did not go up very much. Um, you started with only a few, and they even if you were playing for a long time, they probably wouldn't go up by more than three or four. Um, and so the 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 impact on just taking a wound, like just a couple of wounds, was actually pretty strong. Um, and this is from my experience playing the second edition Warhammer Fantasy. I never actually played the first one, though I've read it. Um, the because when you only have a few, and the any given attack can take away a very uncertain amount of of the spread is a, a D10, right? So it's between one and 10 and you probably only have between nine and 12 wounds starting out, something like that. And so you're, and you won't, you probably won't hit more than 16 or 17. Um, so e- even when you're as tough as you can be, two hits could drop you. And so, but that's that's the 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 grittiness most people talk about when they refer to Warhammer Fantasy roleplay is is comes from that idea is that every combat is potentially deadly. Whereas in D anD D, as you, as you move through it, your defenses get markedly better, your hit point totals go up. So even when you do get hit, you the percentage you lose tends to go down as as right. you advance but camp but combats drag on for longer until you reach the tension threshold of only being a hit or one two or two hits right and so there are games that that take those away and i realize i'm way off my point of talking about my wound system <laughs> uh, <laughs> damn it um but but the point is like i don't in Warhammer Fantasy, the wounds don't have narrative weight, except they get you closer to that that threshold of taking a critical hit. Um, and the critical hits are another piece of uncertainty because that's it's they they can be instantly fatal, possibly. And um, I don't see, I don't know, maybe I'm maybe as I'm talking, I'm I'm siding more with Jonathan that I I, I feel. I don't feel a particular tension difference between losing hit points and gaining wounds. Um, and that's the most, that's the closest to that I can think of because any other wound system I can think of, the wounds have narrative heft and, of some kind, as well as mechanical, usually. Um, Riddle of Steel, the wounds are 
have a lot of mechanical heft, but they also have quite a bit of narrative heft. Um, you can lose an arm and the arm's gone, you know. Um, I can't think of... And then, like in Blaze of the Dark, you have the... the um, they're not called wounds. They're called... Uh, it's not consequences. What are they called? Uh, not, tra- not traumas. The things that get you... Tra- uh, I think it is just wounds. Is it wounds? Okay. Anyway, the wounds there are, are basically mostly narrative, and uh, but they can affect your roles. Um, so I can't think of too many. Like, I guess Shadowrun, you acquire damage rather than check off, rather than lower hit points. Mm. Actually, in Blades, uh, it's called harm. Harm, thank you. Yes, because it wasn't—it wasn't merely physical. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I—I'm not sure. I feel that 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 difference. No. Uh, damage is damage. However, you track it, whether it's subtracting from a total. I mean, even in that's actually funny now that I think about it, because most of what I did when I was playing D and D would be to add up the damage I was taking. And then when it hit my hit point total, I'd say I'm at, I'm down. But most of the time, I would be adding it up. So I'd take some, I'd take a hit of ten damage, and I'd take a hit of fifteen, and I'd write fifteen in my damage, not subtracting it. Because I think it's just easier to, easier to do addition somehow. I think I read something. Yes, but <clears throat> the the question remains. Is there a different psychological impact from marking off your hit points to versus? I don't think so. Summing up your damage, at least not for me. Yeah, that's what the same thing I was saying. Yeah, I understand why there might be, but I don't really think there is. Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm hard pressed to explain it as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 the the next question is why why do you not feel that real psychological phenomenon in this context? Yeah, good question, man. I don't know. Um, I think the first game I played with the wounds. I can't. You know what's funny? I can't quite remember how GURPS does it. GURPS, you have health. And yeah, you take damage, so you subtract. Mm. Um, and then when you get to zero, you make unconsciousness rolls. Or how about this? How about a variation of oh, this? Where... World of Darkness. World of Darkness. You take you take wounds, right? And then once you yeah, go, yeah. All right. So okay, a variation of this. A whether or not you're subtracting down from a ideal high or you're adding up damage towards a you know mortal sum like is there a psychological difference or a different impact on tension of dealing with a number versus dealing with say dots on the sheet um, I like dots on the sheet. Yeah, I, I like. I think that that's one of the things that ha- changes how I think about that. Like, 
mm-hmm. or talking about Blaze in the Dark, or actually, because Blaze in the Dark is something else, like, Dots on a Sheet makes me think of Harm from Monster Hearts, which uh, doesn't, I think, have a dissimilar psychological impact to HP, because it's, a you know, that physical movement from um, zero to four, and you can easily you can easily look and track. Okay, I have two harms, so I'm halfway dead. Yeah, uh, I will note something that I'm noticing in this conversation. I'm not sure if it's universal, but a lot of the games that add up wounds have it in small enough quantities that it's not a number on the sheet. It's uh, something visible on the sheet. That yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's not a box where you're yeah. changing a number. It's like check boxes or or bubbles or yep. little blood spatters yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wounds tend to be a small amount of dots on the sheet. It's not like you're going to have 70 dots on the sheet to that more or less equate a wound as a hit point. Right. Wounds tend to be much more chunky. Mm-hmm. Yes. They sound more substantial. Like wound sounds more substantial than hit point. Health points. Yeah. Health points. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Um, I think we're gonna have to call it there then. It's uh, that's a good night from all of us here at Fluff. Um, wish you happy tidings. Uh, follow us on Twitter and uh, you know, and all our other social media stuff. Apparently, all our other social Rob, media. We're on like Rob all can, of them now. Rob mm-hmm. can probably tell you more about that than the rest yep. of us. At Flail Forward on Instagram, on Twitter, at on Facebook. You'll find us in all three places. And on uh, SoundCloud, where you're probably listening to this. <laughs> we're also or, on... Or iTunes. Or iTunes. Or, or Stitcher. We on Stitcher? We're, we're on, on Stitcher. Stitcher, too. We're um, fucking everywhere. Fucking everywhere. We're also on uh, Christian Mingle. Fire. Wait, oh, are we? Uh, we probably we should. talk about that later. We probably um... should. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm being serious. Yeah, that that would be great. that would be quite great. And, I'll make a Tinder uh, account. Oh, I was just gonna say something about <laughs> well, Tinder. Just put us on Pornhub too. <laughs> Sounds good to me, man. I'll do oh. it. I'll do yeah, it right now. You can you can find us on uh, Pornhub. Um, you can access our cam shows at uh, <laughs> www.camsh.ow. Um, follow I us there. I have no clue what Fred is talking about at this point. <laughs> I think we should stop. Fred, Good night. Fred, Fred just wants everybody to watch him teabag random things. <laughs> I will teabag my own tea uh, for all of your enjoyment. And with that, uh, Good night. <laughs>